Okay, okay, we're going to get to the podcast in just one minute. But imagine I gave you the opportunity to invest in Microsoft, in Apple, in Tesla at its infancy. And now you made all this profit and it would be unbelievable. You'd be so thankful and so grateful. I believe that that day is today for Torch. Because for the next 36 hours, every donation you contribute at givetorch.net is doubled by our generous matchers, and you can come in at the ground floor. Yes, last year, over 1 million people enjoyed our podcasts. You as well, I hope. And I believe we can get to 10 million this year, but we need your help. It's only one day a year that we ask. We need your contribution. We need your partnership. We love your partnership and your friendship. Please contribute at givetorch.net, givetorch.net. Every dollar is matched. I apologize for taking your time. Thank you so much in advance for your support. Enjoy this episode. You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Muster Masterclass. And we are currently in the fourth and final episode dealing with the laws of good midos. And we're learning it from the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, chapter 29, where the Kitzur goes through the different laws of how to act properly, how to treat others properly. And I feel that last week, at the end of the class, I didn't point out the things that I needed to point out properly. So I want to do over the last halacha we did last week, and then we'll continue and we'll finish the chapter. So the halacha says in halacha number 17, it is forbidden for one to shame his fellow. So whether in word or in deed, even in private. So you're alone with the guy in, in, in your house and you're schmoozing with him. You're, you're not allowed to embarrass them. You're not allowed to embarrass them. And certainly not in public. And our sages of blessed memory said, one who humiliates his fellow in public has no portion in the world to come. No portion in the world to come. You know how serious that is? Someone who embarrasses their fellow in public, you essentially, our sages tell us, that it's like spilling their blood. Why is it like spilling their blood? Because when someone gets embarrassed, they turn white, they turn pale. What happens to the blood in their face? It, it gets spilled, so to speak. Say, just say, it's like you murdered them. And one needs to be very, very careful not to hurt, to insult, to humiliate someone in public. Our sages of blessed memory said further, It is preferable for a person to cast himself into a fiery furnace rather than humiliate his fellow in public. As it says, as she has taken out to be executed, this is referring to, remember, Tamar. Tamar didn't want to announce publicly that her father-in-law, Judah, who had said that she's going to be put to death for sleeping with someone, not knowing that it was him, she didn't want to embarrass him publicly. And she was ready to have her life taken and be executed if he wasn't going to agree, admit if he wasn't ready to admit that he was wrong. And in fact, because he did admit is one of the signs of his great leadership. 
which is why Judah became the king. And all the kings of the Jewish people come from Judah. Because being able to admit your wrongdoing is a virtue of leadership. Someone who's always right, someone who's always right, has got some problems. A person should cast himself into a fiery pit rather than humiliate his fellow in public. Shenemar, as it states, and this is the verse from Genesis 38, verse 25. Tamar did not explicitly tell him to, to Judah, but only hinted by telling herself, if he admits, he will admit, and if not, I'm not going to call him out publicly and embarrass him. I will not publicize it, even if she is put to death for her silence. Why? Just not to embarrass another person in public. Just not to humiliate another person. The power, our sages tell us, the incredible power, the reward, by the way, that she had for that is quite incredible. King David came from her offspring. Wow. Who would want King David to be your child? Like, wow, unbelievable. King David became her offspring. Who knows if it's not because of the merit of that specific mida, that specific trait that she was willing to overcome and not embarrass someone in public. To bite our lips and to not say something that is hurtful to another person. We mentioned this morning, you should not cause pain to another Jew. You should not cause pain to another human. If people drove their cars like this, you wouldn't have road rage. If people acted like this, like the Torah tells us, you wouldn't have quarrels, you wouldn't have fist fights, you wouldn't have temper tantrums. If people would just not insult the other. I'm not an expert in marriage counseling. But I've had my share of couples arguing and fighting in front of me, asking me to arbitrate or to come bring them to their senses. And I can tell you that nine out of ten of them were fighting because of words. Because he said something, because she said something, because he insulted, so she insulted, etc., etc., if people were only careful not to inflict pain on another human being with their words, and if it's with words, definitely not with actions. How careful we need to be to be a a Jew. And I'll tell you, I, I mentioned this last week. I was in Israel a few months ago, and I met with many, many, many rabbis, many great sages. And the kindness, the gentleness, the beauty, the smile, the care, the compassion that each and every one displayed. It wasn't one that failed. They recognize that to be a Jew that represents the Torah, these are traits that I, you can't make up. These are traits that you can't do make-believe. You have to internalize this. You have to make it part of your essence. That You greet every person. You know what it is to greet a 
thousand, two thousand people every day, and each one with a smile, and each one with a caring and loving ear, and giving them sound advice, and making believe they are the only person on planet Earth, giving them all your focus. Last week we had the privilege of meeting Rabbi Brody. He was here sitting in this in this chair. I had the schus, the merit, for him to sit right here in this in this seat. Someone came over to me after the class and says, I want you to pay attention how special Rabbi Brody is. He says, there's so many people standing around after class, people asking for blessings, people asking him for, you know, to, to sign their book and things like that. When he was talking to someone, they were the only person that existed in the world for him at that moment. They had his full undivided attention. There's nothing else. No phone. No other person. Yeah, I'll get back to you. One second, you know, we're all over the place. Definitely he's not as ADHD as I am, so I have to learn. I have to learn to be more focused like that. But that's so special that every person he was talking to felt that they were the only person on planet Earth right now because he was giving them his full undivided attention. That's greatness. Imagine such a person insulting someone. It doesn't work. It's incongruent with their character. That's not who they are. The Torah teaches us how to be kind. The Torah teaches us how to be gentle, how to be friendly, how to be loving, how to be caring, how to be compassionate. But there's no such thing as getting angry. It's it's an unbelievable thing. See, I had someone I met not long ago who was so piping mad because they, they, the, the document they got, they had to physically sign and not through DocuSign. And they were on the phone and yelling and screaming. I'm like, you know, it's not such a big deal. You just sign it. He says, but now I have to scan it, and now I have to send it, and I have to email it after this. Couldn't they just do a DocuSign? And it was a... The greater we are in Torah, the less these things bother us the less menial, small, mundane things can take any space in our life. Is it that important to get us angry? Is it that important? If someone said something to you to to blow a fit? No, I don't think so. So why do people do it? The Torah here teaches us, the Torah here teaches us how to properly conduct ourselves, to not hurt, to not insult, to not humiliate another person under any circumstances. The halacha continues. And by the way, put yourself in the shoes of Tamar. Imagine, I'll tell you, I'll tell you an amazing story. Amazing story. It's also a story about how not to judge a person unfavorably. The Ketav Sofer, this is a story about the Ketav Sofer. He lived about 100 years ago, a little bit more. He was once at a conference with a bunch of rabbis. And he brought something very, very special to the conference. It was a coin that was either a replica or a real coin from the time of the temple. And he brought it to show the rabbis at this conference. 
It's only rabbis there. It's nobody else. So he displays the coin and he shows it, shows the coin and the coin makes its way around the room and then it suddenly somehow never gets back to him. And the Ketav Sofer, if I'm getting the story correctly, the Ketav Sofer was a little concerned. This is not. This is a pretty valuable item, you can imagine. He says, did anybody see the coin? Didn't see the coin. Nobody has the coin. Nobody has the coin. So he's going to wait a little. He's going to wait a little. And if I remember the story correctly, what happened was, is that eventually, 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 I think it was someone else actually who had that coin. But the Ketav Sofer also had one. And the other person was showing it around. And the Ketav and they said, okay, everybody empty your pockets because someone must have it. And the Ketav Sofer said, let's wait a minute. Let's wait another minute. Let's wait. This is one of the leading rabbis. Let's just give it some more time. Whoever it was, We'll find we'll 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 admit to it or or just and then a waiter comes running in from the kitchen. He says, Did anybody lose this coin? And they bring in the coin. So they said to the Ketav Sofer, How did you know? How did you know? See, he said, he pulls out of his pocket the coin, and he said because I had the exact same replica, the exact same one I was going to show as well. And I knew that I didn't steal it. And if everyone was going to empty their pockets, I'd be accused forever that it was me. So I was davening, and I was praying that the Almighty should help us find it. But you can imagine what would have happened if he pulls it out of his, out of his pocket. Everyone will be like, oh, look at this guy. Thief. Who wouldn't jump to such a conclusion? Who wouldn't jump to such a conclusion? I'll tell you a story that happened. There was a rabbi in a yeshiva in New York. And he met one of his students that he hadn't seen in many, many years Student tells him, I want you to know something. You changed my life. So how did you change my life? So I'll tell you, my parents were very poor people. We didn't have money. And one of the kids in the class had a watch. A watch. He got a watch, a very nice watch. He says, and I was jealous. I was really jealous of the friend's watch. And the friend, during recess, left his watch on the desk. And I took it. And it was hiding in my pocket. So after after recess, everybody comes back. And the boy sees his watch is gone. He tells the rabbi, Rabbi, I lost my watch. Someone stole my watch. So he says, um, okay, anybody have it? Going once, going twice, going three times, and nobody raises their hand. This boy who had it in his pocket definitely did not raise his hand. And the rabbi says, okay, everybody line up, and he's going to check everybody's bags and everybody's pockets to ensure that no one stole it. 
Sure enough, the rabbi puts his hand into this boy's pocket and gets the watch. And the rabbi continues to check everybody else's pocket, even after finding it in this boy's pocket. And after he was done checking everyone's pockets, he sits everybody back back down at their desk and says, okay, we found the watch. And he gives it back to the boy. And this kid is telling the rabbi, he says, I was amazed that you never punished me for it. Listen to the greatness of a rabbi. He says, I never knew that it was you. He says, I closed my eyes too. I closed my eyes. I didn't either want to know who it was. Amazing thing. Imagine they would have called out that kid. Look at you. Your little Ganov, your little thief. No, we don't embarrass someone in public. It's better to jump into a fiery furnace than to embarrass someone in public. And even if it's, oh, I was just kidding. We're just friends. We're buddies. We don't embarrass someone in public. It's better to end your life in a fiery furnace than to embarrass your fellow. Because in so doing, you're saving yourself from killing them publicly. Humiliating them in public is murdering them in public. Allah now continues, Therefore, a person must exercise extreme care not to shame his fellow in public, whether he is a minor or an adult. By the way, embarrassing a child doesn't make it any better. Just because the child is under the age of 18 or under the age of 13 or under the age of 10, it doesn't make a difference. They don't have feelings. They don't have emotions. They don't, have, they don't get scarred. I'll tell you. I, I, this is the honest truth. In second or third grade, I had a, it was either a teacher or a substitute teacher, but one of them was awful, like extremely awful. One of the kids in the class, one of my classmates, asked a question in class. I've said this story before. And the rabbi proceeded to say, what a stupid question. So imagine how embarrassed that student was. And I can tell you that I never asked a question again ever in class, not in that class and not in any other class, because of the fear that the rabbi will say, what a stupid question. But how tragic. And I'll tell you what, the rabbis that you have today coming out of the system are educated, they're trained, they are professional They're real educators, and I'm so proud when I see my children in their school, they have real professionally trained rabbis who know how to deal with issues. They know how to deal with students, good students and not such good students. They know how to deal with it, and they know that when a child asks a question, how to have classroom management and how to encourage them to ask better questions. But to ridicule a child, a third grader, What's that, seven years old? Imagine I haven't asked a question in class in seven, in many years. 38 years. 
38 years, I haven't asked a question in class. Now, all of you are courageous because you ask questions all the time. That's beautiful. But me, I would be terrified. I'd be terrified to ask a question in class. I don't want them to say that I'm the, the dunce and I'm the silly kid. And I'm No, no, no questions. But imagine the embarrassment of that child. Yes. Okay, so we're talking about timeout as a as as a tool for education um, to stop a certain behavior. So it's a very good question. Uh, it really depends on the circumstances. It depends on the children, on the specific child, and it depends on the other children. Uh, I'm typically not a fan of punishing. Punishment is not a good tool in education. I'm a bigger fan of incentivizing good behavior. You know, they did a they did a a, a study, and they the study was on on dogs on how to train dogs or any any animal of good habits, and they found that ninety nine percent of them responded. Ninety nine percent of them responded better to positive reinforcement than to negative criticism. So when they when they did something right, they rewarded them. They wanted to do the right thing again. When they did the wrong thing and they punished them, they did it again. It didn't stop them from doing the wrong thing again. So with children, I believe it's exactly the same. Being a father of Baruch Hashem and blessed to be a father of eight children, and I I believe this firmly. It's always better to reward than to punish. I'll tell you a quick story. My grandfather was known as a world-class educator and throughout the world, when there was a major question of education, of significant matter, they would come to my grandfather. And they were talking about schools, certain policies that they would make, they would come to my grandfather first. And even if they went to the other great rabbis of Israel, they'd always say, you know what? Go talk to Rabbi Shlomo Walby. He'll give you guidance in this area. So, and... By the way, also individual educators who needed advice had to deal with a, a, a problem child, a difficult situation, a scenario, whatever it was, they would come to my grandfather. My grandfather every night had people waiting out the door, up the hallway, around the building, you know, people waiting to come ask him questions. And unfortunately, not everyone was able to make it in and to get their question asked because my grandfather was very patient and kind. Like we mentioned previously, he was one of those who was extremely, extremely kind and benevolent, and giving of his time for other people, and his patience, and very wise. So one time, a rabbi came to him. He just got a new position as a principal of a school, and he came to my grandfather and asked him the following question. He says, this is the first question he asked. He said, I just got this new job. Oh, very nice. He says, I want to know, when can I punish a, a student? When can I punish a student? So my grandfather took the information. He says, what, type, what school is this? Where is it? Where is it located? How many children? Et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know what my grandfather told him as advice, but as soon as he left my grandfather's room, my grandfather called up the school and told him, you must fire this principal. Because a principal who's only concerned about how he can punish is going to be a tragedy for education. Children need to be encouraged. Children need to be uplifted. Children need to be motivated. And 
I had a guest at my house once, and it's funny because anytime he's been to my house subsequent to that experience, he comments to me, he says, I learned something like I've never seen in my life. And he was, I was having one of the children was testing me on, on something with some behavior. And what I did was I didn't even respond to the test because I don't, I'm not a believer in conflict. So instead what I did was is I got the other children together and I said, guess what? Because you children are behaving and listening so nicely, I'm going to give you something special. Now, I wasn't going to take away from this child. For example, I'll give you an example. My father did this all the time. It's brilliant, brilliant. So, you know, we give out the kiddush, the grape juice or the wine. and Everybody loves that. All the kids love that. They all want to get. But when one of the children would daven nicely in shul, my father would put a little extra drop. So, you know what that did to the other kids? Everyone wants to daven nicer. Because they want that little extra drop. You understand? It's like it's a positive motivation. He doesn't say, oh, you didn't dive nicely. You didn't even show up. You're not getting any. No. No, no, no. We're not going to take away. We're not going to punish. We're going to incentivize and give an extra something to the child who did something that's special. And and I did that. I did that in this guest was at the house and he saw this situation happen and he saw how I just used motivation as a tool to help change that behavior. And many, many times, many, many times, people try to create intentionally or unintentionally conflict with their children because I'm right, I'm the parent, and this is the way it's going to be in my house. And the child's, it's either you're going to butt heads and it's going to be a very difficult train wreck to fix that relationship and to, and to fix that bond. Instead, why are you building more conflict and more resistance? Instead, change the language, change the game, and incentivize, make it. And again, it doesn't have to be that you're buying them a new computer. You're buying them a new phone for everything they do right. No, 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 no. It's doing that something special and showing them how much you appreciate them doing the right thing. Something little. It's much better to be positive than to be negative, particularly if it's going to embarrass a child. You don't want to ever embarrass a child. Children are just as sensitive, just as delicate. In fact, it's probably worse. You know, the halacha says that a father is not allowed to, this is halacha. This is not a uh, nice story said someplace in one of the books. No, no, no. This is halacha. It is forbidden for a father to hit his child over the age of 13. Why? Because it's You're not allowed to put a stumbling block in front of a blind person. Well, what's going to happen? I mean, you're, act, you're asking for something that is inevitable. What's going to happen if you hit the child? He's going to hit you back. And he's not allowed to hit you back because the Torah says... You're not allowed to hit your father and mother. So by hitting your child who's over the age of 13, you're going to cause him to sin because he's going to hit you back, the halacha says. Our sages tell us, my grandfather would say, today that age is three years old. You hit your child, you give him a little spank, you give him a little potch, take it to the bank. They will hit you back. They're not going to hit you back physically. They're going to hit you back much worse. And if people want to know 
You know, there's a generation of, it is an age of rebellion where children are doing things that they know hurts their parents. Why? Why? The parents did that. The parents caused that with those patches that they gave their kid or the spanks or the hitting or the yelling and screaming. It's not necessary. There's ways to do it that is much more pleasant, much more effective in education. Now, that's not the purpose of this class. The purpose of this class is inspiration. I believe it's inspirational to talk about education. So I'll be very, very happy if you'd like to dedicate some time to a class on education. I think it's a very important thing. And by the way, even if you don't have little children at home, you have older children, you have grandchildren. I think education is critically important for us to know the proper way. And my grandfather, by the way, has a book. It's not a very big book. We have a couple of copies here in the classroom, a very, very small book, but this is like the little manual that tells you everything you need to know about parenting. More than just do this, do that, it is a manual for the fundamentals of education. Once you have the knowledge of this book, you'll know everything. You'll know exactly the proper way to handle children. So not that people don't instinctively know, but sometimes people do make mistakes. And I want to tell you, I've made many mistakes with my children. And every single time that I did, I always apologized and asked forgiveness. Every single time. I made a mistake. I did something. I reacted out of anger. I reacted you know, out of impatience. I reacted out of frustration. You know what? And I, I had this, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. I went, my, my, my son realized that I was upset and he walked away. He was a little bit, you know, sheepishly walking away. And it bothered me. I went right to his room and I said to him, I want you to know something. I'm upset at myself. Because I was frustrated, I let it out on you. And that's no way to act. That's not what we learn about. It's not what the halacha teaches us. And I was wrong and I'm sorry. What can I do to compensate for this? What can I do to make you feel? And, you know, his face was glowing. But there's a couple of things that are important about this. Number one is I was wrong. So he needs to know that I admit that I'm wrong. Parents are not always right. We make mistakes. We're human. But I think what's also important is that a child can learn that when you make a mistake, you can apologize. Is You don't always have to be right. We're humans. At least I am. My wife is an angel. But the idea that we make mistakes, and that's a reality. We can make a mistake. Own the mistake. Don't deny. If you've done something wrong, you can own it. It's fine. I think it's very, very important for us to realize, particularly when it comes to education. But you know what? It's not only with our own children. With someone else, you were short with your fellow on the phone. You weren't kind to someone at the synagogue. You weren't, you know, extra courteous to someone at the bank. You can say, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. It's been a tough day. People will appreciate that. I mentioned it here on this podcast and in this class that before Yom Kippur, I made two phone calls to people who I felt I, I called them out on something that I still believe they were wrong about. But you know what? It wasn't done properly. I called them up before Yom Kippur. I said, I'm asking forgiveness. 
And what's amazing about it is that what I thought would be the most uncomfortable two-minute conversation became the most pleasant hour-long conversation with both of them. And there was a friendship and a, and a closeness that was built in the process. I think that that's what Hashem wants us to do. That insult, hopefully, as we say, the halacha says that someone does teshuva, someone repents, then the sin becomes a mitzvah. So think of it. I, I, I made a sin, right? I, I said something that wasn't appropriate. But look, when you repent, and now we became so much closer, so was it worth it or not? Obviously, we don't want to make that mistake. But look at the result of what came out of the repentance is that now the relationship only grew and became so much. Hashem is probably, hopefully, sitting in heaven saying, oh, oh, look at my children. They became closer now in the process. I'm so happy. So just because someone makes a mistake does not mean, and by the way, I spoke about this many, many years ago. And I had an individual, this is probably 10 years ago or more, an individual who was in the class, and we spoke about this idea. I said, you know what? It's not too late to call your child and apologize. You've done something wrong? Apologize. It's okay. And I just said it, and that was it. The next week, the person came over to me and says, you have no idea what you did. I'm like, uh-oh. He says, I, w- I didn't talk to my child for many years, and I felt when you spoke that you were talking to me. And I picked up the phone, and I called my son, and I apologized. And I said, you know something? I was wrong. As much as it was difficult to admit it, and they eventually got together and became very, very close, but the idea here that you need to sometimes get out of your comfort zone to recognize, maybe I did something wrong here. And it's never too late. As long as we're on this earth, we can correct things. And there's no reason, there's no reason that every single person we know shouldn't be at our funeral, particularly if they're family members. And I know somebody, I don't know if he's going to listen to this podcast, and I hope and pray that there is a miraculous amends that's made between the parents and the children. It's so important to have peace because peace is the key. Definitely not, as we said here in the halacha, to insult somebody and hurt somebody. My rabbi, would he said that he used to get very, very upset at the taxis in Israel because the taxis in Israel know how to take advantage of people very, very well. And especially if you're American and you hardly speak Hebrew, they will take you for a ride. So you have to really know what you're doing. And they're crafty. They, so my rabbi said, how do I overcome that anger? This is not Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz, it's a different one of my, my rabbis. And he said that what he trained himself to do, because you don't want to get angry. Is it worth a cab ride to get angry? No. Is it worth 25 extra shekels to get angry? No. So he already set out in his mind, how much is he willing to pay not to get angry? And that's the amount he's willing to pay for the cab. I'm willing to pay 500 shekel not to get angry. So you know what? I'm willing to pay for this ride 500 shekel. Hey, look, it was only 50. It was only 50. It's all a matter of perspective and setting expectations that are realistic and that are manageable. 
the problem is, is that, you know, if you realize, and by the way, I do this, I do this a lot now, where I'm just not in a rush. I was going someplace with my family. You have to understand, I'm, I'm very competitive. By nature, I am so competitive. I love a good challenge. I love a good challenge. I'm always up for it, right? Ping pong and all, right? I, you give me a challenge, I love it. I love it. But And I'll tell you, when, when we would go... When we would go on, on a family trip, I always had to be the first one there. I always, I would race there. You know, it's like, yeah, beat, beat the crowd. Okay. This Pesach, my family and my brother's family and my parents, we all went out someplace and, uh, I took a little bit of a slower route. I didn't go as fast as I normally would go. And my brother's like, you know, I, I thought you'd be way ahead of me. I got here before you. Like, what's going on? Is everything okay? I said there's a couple of things. First is I'm getting a little older, but I'm also getting a little wiser, hopefully, and teaching myself patience. Calm down. It's okay. You don't have to be there first. It's not so humiliating to be there second or third. It's okay, you know, and the the... the we get caught up with things have to go my way and I need it now. It's okay. In the process of learning Musr, that's I think one of the things that I've slowly, slowly been able to chisel out of my heart is the need to always be the winner. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay not to be the first or the fastest or the greatest or the this or the that. Okay. So, if someone sinned against you, and he must rebuke him, as the Torah says. He must not humiliate him. So even if you have to, the Torah commands me to rebuke. The Torah says, Ocheach tocheach damitecha in Leviticus 19.17. But what does it say right after? It says in the verse, You shall reprove your fellow. It's a commandment in the Torah. But then it says, But do not bear a sin because of him. It's very nice that you want to correct his ways, but that shouldn't cause you or him to sin. It should be in a way that's pleasant, that's acceptable. When does this apply? Regarding his sin in matters that are between man and his fellow. So you insulted me, you hurt, you hurt me, you said something negatively about me, etc., etc. If he did not repent after being rebuked privately, we humiliate him publicly we publicize his sin and berate him to his face. So I'll give you a good example for this because it's like, what? It's a private thing. Why does everybody have to know about this? So imagine if someone acted inappropriately. Does everybody need to know about that? No. Well, some type of inappropriate behavior, everybody does kind of need to be warned about it. So if a person acts inappropriately, immodestly and you need to warn other people in that case definitely you have to do that and you have to you talk to the person first and if they don't apologize and if they don't repent then you have to inform the public there was a story that was that i know of it was a unscrupulous rabbi who lived in israel 
And he was a very, very bright person. He is a very bright person. Very persuasive, powerful personality. And very, very, very influential. I mean, he can persuade you, very persuasive, very, you know, compelling. And knows a lot of Torah. But knowledge of Torah doesn't mean that they act appropriately. There was word that came out that he was being inappropriate with some of his students. He was teaching women, and he was inappropriate with some of his students. And my rabbi was on the bed din that heard the testimony from these women. And they brought him in, and they questioned him. And of course, what does everyone say? Well, it's not exactly like that. They had the whole testimony. They had exactly done the way the halacha says to do it. And as a result, he was forced because someone of power was abuse of power. Imagine if they did this in the church, right? But abuse of power, he was taken away his title of rabbi. He had to divorce his wife, leave his family, leave his home, and he's excommunicated from the congregation. That means you're not allowed to invite him to your house for Shabbos. He's excommunicated. So this, I would think, is is an example with that our Allah tells us there was no repentance here. And in many cases, there's not really what to do. In many situations, if, if he was with a married woman, she cannot go back to her husband now. How many homes were destroyed because of this? So such a thing, everybody needs to know this person is a danger to society. He's a menace to society. Terrible thing. We have to be careful not to hurt someone's feelings. And even in this process, right, where the halacha clearly tells us exactly what you have to do, It was done, and it's not a conversation. It's done. Everybody knows about it. Nothing was swept under the rug. Nothing was hidden. Everybody saw this, and that's it. The conversation is over. Because talking about this person between the boys and everyone schmoozing, that's Lashon Hara. You're not allowed to talk about it. Now, if it's to warn somebody that they not be hurt by them, that you're obligated to do. But to just schmooze about it? Get some good giggles out of it? No, that's not appropriate. So I think that this would be an example where the halacha says that you do need to publicize it. Yes. Aye. Until they return to the path, to the proper path. As did all the prophets of the Jewish people. And this is not included in the prohibition against harming someone with words. As the Torah says, from our Torah portion, as the verse states, and a man shall not wrong his fellow. And our sages of blessed memory said, Amiso, what does Amiso mean? What is a fellow, your fellow? What does that mean? Am she'itcha batorah, uba mitzvos, regarding a member of the nation who is with you in Torah and mitzvos, someone who's following the ordinances of the Torah. To them, the Torah cautioned against wrongdoing them. The law over Alem, 
but not regarding someone who transgresses the Torah and the mitzvahs, like this individual who transgressed the Torah and mitzvahs and did not repent after being admonished privately and in a soft-spoken manner. Okay, so that's what we talked about last week. I think we're able to add a little bit more context to what we spoke about. Number 18, one whose fellow sinned against him, and he does not wish to admonish him, nor to speak with him at all about what he did. And he forgave him in his heart, totally, and did not harbor hatred against him, and did not admonish him. This is an act of virtue, of piety. For with regard to sins between one and his fellow, the Torah objects only to harboring hatred. Torah says you cannot harbor hatred against your fellow. Losisna sachicha bovavechat says do not hate your fellow in your heart. And I think I gave the story last week about the moel, where there was someone in the neighborhood who didn't hire the moel from the neighborhood. And then the idea here that you need to, we need to recognize the importance of not harboring hatred in our heart. You have someone, uh, have, I've had stories of people in this class who've shared that they had a family member who didn't invite them to their child's wedding or they didn't this. And it turns out there was an envelope that got lost by the post office or something like that. And people like, and they're so angry and they harbor this hatred and like, hello, it just happens to be, by the way, my brother made a wedding back in March and I never got an invitation for the wedding. I happened to have gone to the wedding I know it's my brother making a wedding. Of course I'm going to the wedding, even if he doesn't invite me, even if he doesn't send me an invitation. But it happens to be that I did not get an invitation. After Pesach, the person who bought the house from us, our old house, dropped off a whole bunch of mail, and in there was my brother's invitation. So, And that's a month and a half after the wedding. So... You know, if I would have taken it personal, I could have been like, I don't believe it. He never invited me. I can't. Well, that, that, of course he invited. Of course he invited. All right. Halacha number 19. A person must exercise extreme care and caution with orphans and widows. To only speak to them gently and to deal with them in a dignified manner. One may not cause them anguish, even verbally, for their whole being are very downtrodden and their spirits are humbled, even if they are of means. So they're very wealthy, they're well off, they got a great life insurance policy payout. Indeed, even if the widow is a widow of a king and the children are princes, we are cautioned against mistreating them. As the verse states, Kol losanun. You shall not cause pain to any widow or orphan. Bris koras lahem misha amar God, creator of heaven and earth, who said that the world shall be, and it was, that same God who created this universe said, I established a covenant with them. Shekol zman tzorakin, whenever they cry out to me, Due to an iniquity committed against them, they are answered, as the verse states in Exodus 22. 
God listens to the voice of the downtrodden. God listens to the voice of the widow and the orphan. I had, when I was in fourth grade, we had a boy in our class whose mother passed away. And we were spoken to by our teacher who was very, very special. This one was a good one, great one. And he said to us this halacha. He said, do you realize how careful you need to be? We're going to have a boy who comes back after the funeral and after the shiva and after he was finally able to come back to school. He said, you guys need to understand the responsibility that you bear not to insult, not to hurt, not to make the orphan cry. Because if an orphan cries to God, God listens. Be very careful. It's playing with fire. And I remember we were like like on eggshells. You had to be so careful. This is an orphan. He doesn't have a mother to protect him. We need to be extra cautious. And this is what the Torah teaches us, to be extra cautious, extra, extra, extra careful. That, you know, there are three partners to mankind, the father, the mother, and God. If one of those partners, or if heaven forbid two of those partners are gone, God says, I need to step in even more to protect my child. Be careful. Don't mess with my kid. Because if you mess with my kid, you're messing with me. So when does this apply? When one brings them distress for his own sake. If, however, an instructor brings them distress, a rabbi, in order to teach them a trade or to teach them Torah. So the craftsman is telling them, no, you don't kick like that in karate. That's not what we're talking about. right? You're trying to guide them. You're trying to instruct them. In such a case, that would not be like that instructor is like doomed. No, that's a different case. But still, use caution. Or if a rabbi is teaching them, and you sometimes when you learn, you learn with a fervor, with a fire, that's not, that's not what it's referring to. Or to lead them in the proper path. Then it's permitted. Nevertheless, still, he should take care to guide them pleasantly and with great mercy. Ki Hashem yoriv rivam, for Hashem will take up their grievance. Echad yosameav, whether it be an orphan from the father or an orphan from the mother. Until when are they considered orphans in this regard? until they are capable of looking after their own needs on their own, like all other adults. So this is something which is serious. And imagine the sensitivity we teach our children. I remember when we were in third or fourth grade, when they told us this, how sensitive we learned we needed to be for another person. That, uh uh-oh, you can't tease him. You can't cheat him. You can't fight him. You can't, no, 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 no. You you make him cry, you're going to pay. Teach the children with great sensitivity. Halacha number 20. Tzari cha'adam lizarel. A person must be careful. Shalom lasos ezadavar. Not to do anything sheicholun lachshadoso. That could lead, not to do anything that can lead people to suspect him of having performed a sin. Even though he didn't actually perform anything that was sinful. I don't have to worry. I didn't do anything wrong. You can't do anything that people could think that you may have done something wrong. 
Kidimotzinu, as we find, Shehakohen Hatorim, the Kohen who withdraws the Shkalim from the chamber, which happened three times a year, that they would empty out the coffers of the Mishkan, where people would donate their half shekels. Lo he would not enter wearing a garment that was made in a manner that would conceal anything, meaning he had no pockets. He had no pockets to his clothes. You know why? So nobody should suspect that he was stealing money from the treasury. Let me ask you a question. Who's the Kohen? The Kohen was some little low-life guy they picked off the street. No. The Kohen is a righteous person. The Kohen was a holy person. The Kohen was a learned person. And you're suspecting someone like that? Yes. We're not suspecting. We're just saying you have to do everything possible to avoid suspicion. Go out of your way to avoid suspicion. There are many people who, when they're driving, will avoid, you know, you got to go to a restroom. You got to go to for, for, for a restroom stop, a pit stop. So what do many people do? Many people will not go to a place like a McDonald's and use the restroom. Why? Someone's going to see you walk out. They see you walking out with the yarmulke. They're going to be like, Tzitzis, this guy's eating treif. Look at him in this McDonald's. Not knowing he only went to use the restroom. Now, today, it's more common for you to have rest stops that have bathrooms and have multiple different restaurants and places. So people assume that if you're stopping at a rest stop, it might be a little bit different. But a person needs to at least think about that. I have to care about what other people are going to think about me. I don't care. I'm doing the right thing and I don't care. You have to stay clear of suspicion. You have to stay clear of people that they may come to thinking or suspecting wrongdoing. This is because a person must satisfy the scrutiny of other people. Just as you need to satisfy the scrutiny of the omnipresent, blessed is he. Shenemar, as it says, that you should be vindicated from Hashem and from Israel. Be clean, be pristine in your ways, that no one can ever think that you did something that was unscrupulous, that something you did something that was not 100% pristine. The Omer, as it states in Mishle, in Proverbs, and find favor and goodly wisdom in the eyes of God and man. That's our job, to make sure we do everything in the finest of ways. I'm not going to allow for any suspicion. Say, I have this issue sometimes if I go into a store and I'm, I need to make a return. So it can look like you're shoplifting. You're coming in with a bag, right? And you're walking out with the bag that you didn't pay for this item. So it's like, you know, it's like you have to like make it. So I always make sure that I go straight to the desk and I go, it's like, it's like this uncomfortable, like, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, don't charge that. It's like, either way, you have to be extra careful. Halacha number 21. It is a pious, everybody wants to be pious and holy. It is a pious trait not to accept gifts, but rather to trust only in Hashem. Someone says, here, I'm going to buy you a gift. Right? It's piety not to accept a gift. 
to always have trust in Hashem that Hashem will provide you your every need. Shenemar, as it states, one who hates gifts will live. And this is a guidance for every person not to want gifts. I can't believe they came to my house and didn't get me a gift. You know, you go to someone's house, you get them a gift. No, 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 no. Hashem will take care of my every need. I don't need anyone's gifts. I say to people, people ask me, oh, Rabbi, I'm coming for dinner. Rabbi, I'm coming for dinner. What can I bring? I said, just bring yourselves. Just bring yourselves. That's the gift. 